Well, good morning and welcome to East Tailsville Baptist Church. And for many of you, welcome back. It seems like you were just here and we want to welcome you back to the service. Um, if you are visiting with us today, we encourage you before you leave, uh, number one, we don't want to embarrass you. We encourage you just to make yourself at home. You can blend in. But if you'd like more information about the church, please stop by our guest table in the lobby. You can pick up a guest bag there. There's also a QR code you can scan with your phone. And uh, that gives us more information about you and how we can uh, help serve you better. But I encourage you to do that. Um, for those of you that were here this past week, uh, thank you seems so inadequate of words to, to, to say thank you for what you did this past week. You make VBS possible, and uh, we just want to thank you for all the sacrifices you made this past week. We had a wonderful week at Vacation Bible School, and I know on behalf of Justin and Elizabeth, um, just to, to thank you for what you've done. And, and Justin and Elizabeth, thank you for the leadership. Alyssa as our VBS director of what you did this past week. It was worth it. This past week, there were five key points that we looked at. And if the kids are here, all the VBS kids and leaders, if you remember what you said, but we found out the first night that when life feels dark, all right, let's hold off once to the end. So when people don't get along, when good things happen, when people are sad, and when people need help. So this week, they've learned key truths that we pray and hope that's, that's just taken root and will stay with them the rest of their life. So thank you for all those who served. And at the end of the service, if you'd like to see some video highlights, there's going to be a brief video as you leave today. We encourage you to stick around. And watch that. And one other important announcement, we have one more major children's event this summer for Rising 3rd, right, Justin, Rising 3rd through Rising 6. We have children's camp coming up in a couple weeks. And if you have signed up, if your child has signed up for camp but you have not turned in your medical form, or if you've not yet signed up, you can still see Elizabeth. She'll be available right after the service down here at the front. We're going to try to get you in if you've forgotten to sign up for children's camp, but that's coming up in a couple weeks. And then next Sunday, right after the service in the fellowship hall, there'll be a meeting for uh, information about camp for all the parents. And also you can turn in your medical forms next Sunday, but we need all that before camp happens. So all that, um, everybody stand up, turn to your neighbor and say, that's too many announcements and welcome to the service.
we come to this time of, uh, of prayer as a church family, one of the things that I would like to mention to you, and I've, I've talked to several of our church members this week, but also people in the community, isn't it a blessing to uh, be a part of a church family and be able to worship together on a Sunday morning? And we were talking about like when, especially during that, the, the COVID season as we call it, uh, so many of us had to be away from each other, but the, but the fact is that we can meet together now and we can be together and it's really it's really a um, I guess you could say it's really a, a hard thing whenever you miss the fellowship that we have when we can worship in person and one of the blessings of that is that we can pray for each other we can lift each other up and in your bulletin um, every name that's listed there uh, matters uh, some of those folks um, have been really blessed by your prayers they've told me uh, this this Sunday morning time that we can get together and pray together. Uh, one name that may not be in there uh, uh, means a lot to me, and a lot of you know who this person is, but it's, his name is John Ospaul. can't remember if his name's in the bulletin or not, but he's at Valley in room 617 and near death, and he asked if we would pray for him. I had a, a good visit with him um, Friday, and uh, John was a member of this church for several years, years ago, and John's the person that led me to the Lord. So I'm very thankful for his... Uh, not only his uh, example of how he lived, but how he was so compassionate and uh, so truthful when, uh, when he was uh, witnessing to me. But if you will, as we pray this morning, if you'll remember him and his family in prayer. And also, we have so many needs in the church that a lot of those are physical. So as a choir and the praise team lead us during this time, if you'll meet me here at the altar, let's lift these folks up to the Lord in prayer this morning. Thank you. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. I know so often uh, at these times we lift up people who need your touch physically. And Lord, if I was in that situation, I'd want the same thing. So Father, a lot of the names, Lord, in our bulletin are people that have been in the hospital or are in the hospital or have just come out of the hospital. And Lord, we just pray that you'd touch them and Lord, help them. Lord, I pray for John now, Lord, at Valley. Lord, we know that his time on this earth is near. And, uh, Father, we're so thankful for the hope that we have. We talked about that Friday. Lord, uh, he's not afraid of death because he knows that death is a transition from this life into your presence. And, Lord, I want to thank you for this church's influence in his life to evangelize. And, Lord, I'm one of the fruits of his evangelizing. And, Lord, I want to thank you that our paths crossed. I believe it was a divine appointment. And, uh, Lord, I pray that you would be with his, his family, Lord. I pray that you would, um, Lord, just give him a peace that passes all understanding. And Lord, we have so many in our church that, Lord, uh, need your touch. Lord, I need your touch financially, emotionally, uh, Lord, physically. And we're so thankful that, Lord, we are a family. We're a body. Of, we're the body of Christ. But, Lord, we're also a family. And, Lord, I pray that we continually lift each other up and encourage each other. And, Lord, those that need your touch the most, Lord, we pray that you touch them today. Lord, we pray for the person here. Uh, Lord, in this uh, congregation this morning who may not know you as our personal Lord and Savior, we pray that today would be their day of salvation. Father, we pray that you'd be honored and glorified through the singing, the giving, Lord, the praying, and Lord, the preaching. And Father, we pray that you'd change, uh, Lord, change us for your honor and for your glory. And Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship together. Lord, I pray that we'd never take these times for granted. Who knows, Lord, when we may be struck with an illness and can't come. Lord, we're thankful for the online service, but Lord, there's nothing like being together as a family, uh, Lord, as a body of Christ and worshiping you, uh, Lord. And we just want to thank you for these opportunities that we have. Thank you for the freedoms that we have. And Lord, we just want to tell you that we love you today, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Amen. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you, choir. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. But as they're going down, I want to mention that these uh, budgets for the 2023-2024 uh, church year are out, okay? And it's, to me, Kevin's done a great job with this. It shows what we've added, what we've subtracted, and different things like that. We'll vote on this the last Sunday in August. We'll also have a baptism on that day, and also we'll be in the sanctuary on that day. But you have until today, until that Sunday, 
If you'd like to talk about it, you can talk to myself, uh, Chris Russell, who's our chairman of deacons, uh, Kevin, who's our executive pastor. But on that day, whenever we vote, we don't do discussion publicly on the budget. You can talk to us anytime you want to. And I would encourage you to do that if you have any questions or anything like that. I really appreciate our budget finance team. Our deacons vote on it as well. So they're out, and you can look at those. And there again, if you have any questions, if you will, contact myself Kevin or Chris Russell would be happy to answer any questions that you have about that. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to stand with me and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 18 through 20. Uh, the, I got four points this morning, and the first point does not really apply to us. The second point, of course, does, and then the third and fourth do. Um, when Peter is writing this, uh, you have to understand not only the context of the chapter, but you also have to understand the times that they were living in, Okay. Half of the Roman Empire was under slavery, if you will. There are three different kinds of slavery that people were under. Some people volunteered to be under it. Very few people did. But Peter is writing to a group of people that can't get out of their situation. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, why didn't Paul say uh, stop slavery? Well, you couldn't stop slavery. You had no rights. It'd be like us living in a Muslim country or somewhere like North Korea. You just have no rights. Over time, it changed. Okay, Paul understood if slavery was going to have to change, it'd have to change within, and it took hundreds of years. So this idea that they just stopped slavery, they didn't have any rights, couldn't vote, couldn't do anything. As a matter of fact, Christians started being killed not long after this was written. So this idea that they could change something, you couldn't change anything, you had to live within the place you were at. That's why Peter uses this term called, okay? Called, this is the what you were called, just like your salvation. God is sovereign, he called you, Okay? You're called to be in this situation. Live in this situation as best you can. So notice what he says, verse 18. Servants, now this is not the word slave. Some, some of your translations will have slaves there. It's a totally different word. Okay? It means servants. Be submissive to your masters. How does that make you feel? Anybody here have a boss? Wow, you are all bosses? Okay, we all have bosses, right? That's, that's kind of the thought process here, okay? Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good but to, and the gentle, but also to the harsh. That's tough, isn't it? Isn't that hard? You don't know what kind of Christians you are? Punch in at work on Monday. Trust me. We'll find out by Wednesday what kind of Christian you are, amen? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, grief and suffering wrongly. See, you have a right to say something today. They didn't have a right. So as we, as we try to apply this to our context, we have to understand that in their case, they couldn't really say a whole lot. Couldn't say a whole lot. You didn't have a lot of say-sos. So Peter's trying to encourage them how to live. He says, for what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. He says, if you deserve it, you deserve it. Okay? If you've done wrong, there's consequences of that. He says, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For this is... This, for this is you, for, for to this, I'm sorry, you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his footsteps. And what Peter is telling these people that are getting this letter is this is your, uh, this is really God's sovereign plan for your life. Aren't you thankful that we live in America? Aren't you thankful that you don't live in a, in a country where you don't have a say? Okay. These people didn't. So it's hard for us to put ourselves in their context, right? We just can't. But there's some things that we can apply to our life. And ultimately what Peter is saying is no matter what you're going through in life, okay, no matter what you're going through in life, ultimately it's part of God's plan, okay? There's some things I do and there are consequences to it that weren't part of God's plan. But the, but the overwhelming arch of my life is God's sovereignty whether I suffer or not, okay? And what he's saying is this, ultimately look to Jesus, who suffered more than you ever can. Okay, He is our example, and we're to be Christ to those around us as they see us going through what we're going through. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you, Lord, once again, Lord, for Peter and for how you changed his life. Father, this epistle has been uh, literally life-changing for me. And Father, I pray that we would um, see ourselves, Lord, even as in a work situation, Lord, many of us have gone through life-changing events this year. Um, and Lord, I just pray that we would look to you as our example. Lord, look to you and give our suffering to you. 
give our questions to you, give our concerns to you. And Father, trust that, Lord, your plan is better than ours. Even though, Lord, it's dark, you've called us to be a light in darkness. Lord, ultimately, all that matters is our relationship to you. And Father, if there's anyone here today that's never placed their faith in you, I pray that you would, Father, by your grace and through your grace, save them for your honor and your glory, and we'll thank you and praise you for what you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. The whole context of this last section of this chapter starts in verse 11 where he says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, what he's saying is this, whatever you're going through, it's not going to last forever. He says, this world is not your home. He says, abstain from fleshly lusts, which don't just mean the moral issues that we face, the temptations I have, but also lashing out and acting wrongly. He says, it war war, wars against your soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. So when he talks about our relationship to the government, their relationship to the government, and, and they were under an emperor, uh, Nero, who basically started persecuting the church. He says, have your conduct toward them so honorable, even though you disagree, that the Gentile world will look at you and want to be like Christ. Then he says, in your uh, relationship, there were three categories of slaves. There was slavery, servants, which Peter talks about here, and then there were bond servants. Okay? And basically what he's saying is, in these three categories, if you find yourself as though, live as best you can. Live as best you can. Be a light in the darkness. Now that was a tough call for them. He said, you're called to this. Okay, I'm thankful I'm not, right? He told Paul, the Apostle Paul, you're my chosen instrument for suffering. Okay, anybody want to sign up for that one? Everybody wants to be like Paul. Do they have to do Paul stuff, right? Yeah, you don't want to be like, you don't want to go through what Paul went through. Peter is saying, this is your lot in life. In world history, this is where you are, okay? And he gives them and he tries to encourage them and tells them, live as best you can. So the first thing we're going to see here is slavery, Notice the verse. He says servants, which goes back to previous chapters where he talks about slaves, or previous verses. Now think about this. One, one pastor said this. Why didn't the early church just declare war and overthrow, overthrow the Roman Empire? I hear that all the time. Because he couldn't. I mean, you just don't understand history if that's your thought. He says, well, because the Christians were a very small minority group at that time, really small, in addition, they didn't have the same legal rights oftentimes as the rest of the citizens of the Roman Empire. A lot of times they had zero. And the Roman Empire was the largest, the most powerful, and the most affluent nation in the history of the world. Literally, that culture that is receiving this letter, it was ruled like North Korea. He says, if you're, if you're familiar with North Korea today, there's no separation of church and state. You're told literally to worship the emperor. They use the same language that is used here in 1 Peter, you worship the emperor as God. He says, you're brainwashed from a young age to worship the emperor and to worship the state, and ultimately you have no rights. And what happens is, if you, if you say no, the emperor is not Lord, and Jesus is Lord, they kill you. And the historical facts show that. There are letters written by Pliny the Younger where he talks about, i got to kill two women because they will not bow to Caesar. I mean, that's a historical fact, or to the emperor. Okay? And then they do horrible things to your family, especially if you're married and a man, to your wife and to your kids. So this is the context that he's writing into. They would have thought that the liberties that we enjoy today were unthinkable. We got it made. We've been placed in uh, wonderful places here. We don't really have a lot of gripes. Okay? We shouldn't have with those things. We're blessed. They were a minority group. 50% of the Roman Empire were slaves, servants, or bondservants. By comparison, during the Civil War, there was about 10% of Americans were slaves. So half their citizens were in this category, and a lot of them were going to get saved. And a lot of them would think, well, if I give my life to Jesus. See, this is not a good evangelism strategy in Peter's day. If you give your life to Jesus, sorry, if you give your life to Jesus, you don't got to be a slave no more. You know, evangelism strategy today is if you give your life to Jesus, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and things will go good. Okay? You hear that a lot. That's a terrible evangelism strategy because your life may not change one bit as far as your circumstances, right? You give your life to Jesus because you've sinned against God and Jesus Christ is your only hope, okay? Peter, Peter didn't share that with his readers. If you give your life to Jesus, you're probably still going to be in slavery until you die. And if you have children, they are as well because you were born a slave. Isn't that awful? What a terrible time to be alive if you, if you just want to be honest with it. See, and there were three types of slaves. Number one was slave trading. 
People would go and kidnap people and they would become slaves or they would buy people. That's how America had slavery. You would buy somebody or kidnap somebody, and that was more racial. Listen to what Timothy, when Paul writes to Timothy, the young pastor in Ephesus, he says this. Listen to what he says in 1 Timothy 8 through 10. I wish I'd have had this verse on the screen. He he says this, We know the law is good if one uses it properly. We also that the law is not made for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels. Okay, That's, that's, that's common sense. Do you know why the speed limit is 55 in most places? Because if we didn't have a speed limit, people like me would drive 80 and 90 all the time. All the time. It's, it's for me. We have the law, he says, for certain people. And then he says this. The law is not made for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly, he them, the ungodly and the sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for sexually immoral, for those who practice homosexuality, for slave traders, he says. So the Bible has always condemned slave trading. Always. It's always condemned it. It's never said it's a good thing to own another person. He says, and liars and perjurers. Our culture, Paul is telling Timothy, do not be tolerant about sin. Back then, almost all cultures practiced slavery. In the Roman Empire, all races were slaves. All of them. If Rome overtook your province, okay, and you were a prisoner of war, you automatically became a slave. It didn't matter what race you were. They didn't care. They didn't care if you're white, black, whatever. You just became a Roman slave. You were considered, you were not considered a full human being. You didn't have full legal rights. Those who were who were born to slave parents were also considered property and not full human beings. They were passed along to along the estate like livestock. That was slave trading. The Bible says it's a sin. It's not just unfair, it's ungodly. This would include people in the Old Testament like Joseph. He was sold into slavery, and then 400, and then later he moved to Egypt. Then 400 years later, you have a whole nation of Jews who were slaves against their will. Michael, show this quote by Aristotle, and then I'll show those two pictures. Notice what Aristotle said. He's considered one of the smart people of his day. He said, there can be no friendship nor justice given to inanimate things. Just as you cannot be friends or give justice to a horse or an ox, So friendship and justice cannot be extended toward a slave. As a slave and master have nothing in common, a slave is but a living tool. Isn't that awful? He said, you're just a slave. You're not a person. We're going to sell you like I would sell a cow. That's that's who Peter's writing to. And some of these people are coming to know Jesus. And Scripture strictly condemns it. Exodus 21 says, anyone who kidnaps another and sells him must be put to death. So slave kidnapping is one of the few things in the Old Testament for which death penalty is prescribed, but the Romans didn't live by God's law, did they? They would even say this, if if my slave escapes and you harbor that slave, you can be held in contempt. They also would take a slave who who had been caught and they would tattoo on his forehead, fugitive. Oftentimes, if they picked up a slave and they could tattoo him, they would put this slave as the property of... Okay, and they would have their their name on their forehead for the rest of their lives. It was so bad that when archaeologists went to Ephesus, okay, in the temple of Asclesius, I think it was, who was the, their god of healing, they had evidence of thousands of slaves who would go into this place. They would do the rituals, and their prayer was, "Take these tattoos off our head." And of course, it never happened. Okay, notice this one of these pictures is from a museum in Rome to the left. That was a metal band that slaves had to wear, and and the little thing hanging down was his slave master's demands. Okay, This is my slave returning to this person. And then if you notice to the right, this was found, I think, in about the 3rd century. This is from the museum in, in Britain. And what it is is one of those things that hang down off this collar, this metal collar that slaves had to wear, and it said this slave is the property of, and it gives the actual estate, which is an actual estate. Imagine having to wear that around. Okay, Your situation today does not apply to that. Let's just not act like it does, even though slavery in other countries is still happening, and people are looked at the same way, but they were not looked at as people. The number two category is this, the, the category of servants or prisoners of war. Daniel, in the Old Testament... All of Daniel was written as he was a prisoner of war. Daniel was a prisoner of war to Babylon and then to the Persians. 
The third category was that of a bond servant. Paul even writes to the church at Corinth, and he says this. He says, each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you. Remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all the churches. For instance, a man who is circumcised before he become a believer should not try to reverse it. It's going to be kind of impossible. I'm not a doctor. Matt is, but, I mean, he's a physician. Maybe he could help us there. Okay, and the man who is un, was uncircumcised when he became a believer should not be circumcised now. That handles the part about circumcision, doesn't it? He says, for it makes no difference whether or not a man has been circumcised. The important thing is to keep God's commandments. Then he says, yes, each of you should remain as you were when God called you. Are you a slave, he says, bondservant? Okay, that's what the word means. Then don't let that worry you, but if you get a chance to be free, take it. He's not talking about escaping. See, a bondservant in those days were people that oftentimes come into economic hardships. The average man, the man back then, made one denarii a day. And they could make up to 313 denarii a year. Now, if you were on the very low end of the stratus, okay, food and housing, one, one scholar said, would cost you 279 denarii a year. So you had very few denarii to make your life live. So what a lot of people would do is this. Well, I know Daryl. Okay, Daryl's a nice man. He, he, he hires people. So what I'll do is I'll go work for Daryl for five years. He's going to pay me a denarii today, but I got free housing and food. And he's going to take care of my family. Okay? All right? Now, case in point, okay, what if I said, well, I want to go work for, uh, for Bobby Johnson. Okay? Bobby Johnson's got a lot of money, but Bobby Johnson's mean. All right? He's a mean person. All right? And he's going to treat my family bad, and he's going to treat us this way or that way. Well, then you just pick the wrong guy. See, a bond servant says, I'll work for you. It's kind of like, I know it's a really odd comparison, but if you go to nursing school, you may go to some college, community college, and they say, if you go to this hospital, we'll help pay your student loans off. But you got to work for us for five years. Okay, That's kind of like what bond servants were, house servants. And that's kind of who Peter's writing to when he says in verse 18, servants, you're household people, you're working within this system that, that you may be free, you may not. You may have to be a bondservant the rest of your life because you probably can't pay off your debts, and most people were. So he, he talked about slavery, number one. Number two, he talks about submission. Now notice, servants, be, submission, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Every one of the New Testament writers that wrote an epistle says the same thing. When Paul writes to Timothy, he makes this statement because this was the way people lived. He said, all who are under the law or under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's na name and our teaching may not be slandered. He goes on to say this, let those who have believers as, as their masters not be disrespectful to them. And what he's saying there when he uses the term slave is like you're working for somebody. Not that they're holding you against your will, but you've chosen to work for somebody. Kind of today, like when you work uh, for somebody else, when you work, when you take a job. It, does anybody remember their first job? My first job, and I've shared this with you a hundred times, I was a tow boy in a furniture factory. And what a tow boy does is you do what everybody tells you to do. Everybody tells you to do. If they tell you to get staples, you get staples. If they tell you to sweep, you sweep. If they tell you to get cotton, you get cotton. I, I would hear this, toe boy, I need staples. Toe boy, I need cotton. Toe boy, I need this or that or the other. See, I might have been a husband and a father, but in the furniture factory, I was a toe boy. Okay? And if I didn't want to be a toe boy, I could either outwork somebody and take their job or quit that job, right? I made $4.50 an hour. Baller status, right? You know what they told me to do one day, and I've shared this with you before. Toe boy, go get us a frame stretcher. I went looking for a frame stretcher. You know what? There's no such thing as a frame stretcher. I thought I learned my lesson. Then about a month later, they said, Toe boy, go get us a, a cloth stretcher. Dumb Jamie went. I went looking for a cloth stretcher. They don't make them. You know why? Because a toe boy is submissive to your boss. Okay? If you, if you want to make any money, unless it's illegal or unethical, you just do what they tell you, right? You just do what they tell you. It's like I have these uh, uh, staff people that will come to me sometime, and they'll say, hey, I want to, my pastor this, my pastor that, my pastor this. And I said, why don't you go be a pastor? And I'll tell them, everybody wants to be a pastor until it's time to do pastor stuff. I remember Gary Jennings telling me this when I was here as associate pastor. He said, son, don't ever desire that office 
unless you're ready to take the responsibilities of that office, right? Because that word master means boss, right? And are you willing to submit to that in a work environment? Notice what Titus tells, Paul tells Titus on the island of Crete, exhort, now he says, uses the right word, bond servants, to be obedient to their own masters. And what he's saying is this, just be submissive unless it's illegal or unethical. This is well-pleasing. What that means is this, work with excellence. If you're going to work, do it with excellence. Do the best job you can is basically what he's saying. Do it with excellence. So what he's saying here is this, a Christian employee has no excuse for a half-hearted work, for cutting corners, for laziness, for lack of initiative, or carelessness. That person never pleases his boss. What Paul wants us to know is, is that we're not trying to please him, but we're trying to please the Lord. He wrote to the church at Colossae. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. That's why I would encourage you, if you're a Christian, three things about work. Be on time. Amen. There's no excuse most of the time or nothing more disrespectful for yourself than to be late. And I would say to be early. And then the, the third thing is this, be there. Show up for work. Work. See, when I worked right out of high school, I wanted to work instead of going to school, which was dumb, but I did. Now, get this. If I didn't work on a Monday, I didn't get paid for Monday's work. And what I found out after a couple times of missing work is I needed money more than I needed to stay home and watch The Price is Right. Okay? Even though Price is Right was good. And the guiding lights, too. But anyway... If you, if you didn't work, you didn't get paid. We didn't have sick days. So if you're sick, you just worked. Okay? It's, it's amazing how much better your life can be if you just show up a standard of excellence. You, you, you try to show a standard of excellence because you're ultimately representing the Lord at work. One Christian businessman said this. He said, Christianity makes that cubicle, that desk, that home, that shop, that office, nothing less than the holy of holies where God touches earth. I believe it was Martin Luther who said this, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Praise the Lord. Listen, if you're going to whine and complain at your job, do yourself a favor and do the company a favor. Find you another job first and just go there. Right? Just go there. And what you're going to find out is the same problems you had here, you probably got there. Right? Right. So work as unto the Lord. Then he, goes, then he says this, not answering back. And look at that word, not pilfering. You know what that means? It means the Old, Testament, the Old English word says peculating. You never hear this word anymore. It comes from the Greek verb, which basically means to separate. It means, it means to take something from here and lay it over here. It came to mean embezzlement. Now listen, all the trades and all the arts in those days, all the professions in ancient times were in the hands of slaves. Just like businesses are today, there are bosses, but the bosses are not handling usually the stuff that makes the operation work. And as in ancient times, every conceivable mode of trickery was used. That's where the Old Testament expression, he knew the tricks of the trade came from. Those ancient trades developed skilled thieves who knew every angle to steal and to embezzle from their boss. The same word is translated in Acts 5, 2, and 3 in regard to Ananias and Sapphira. When they held back, when they sold a piece of ground and said they were going to give it all to the Lord, but they embezzled a little, they held it back, and you're not to do that. Listen to this. According to the U.S. Department of Commerce, employee dishonesty costs American businesses over $50 billion a year. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce reports that one of every three business failures are the direct result of employee theft. Isn't that amazing? So let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hand. Are you stealing from your company? Stop. Amen? Stop being a thief. You're a thief is what you are. Admit it and stop it. I wonder how many local businesses in Alexander County are run by good, godly Christian men and women, and they have employees that rob them every week. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. You're a thief, and you should repent. See, there was, a, there was a revival that happened in Wales. This is a historical fact. Over 100,000 people are reported to have come to Christ. And guess what happened after that? You'd be amazed. Listen to, what, listen to what history tells us. He says, 
Over 100,000 people responded to the gospel and came to faith and began making restitution, which unexpectedly created severe problems for the shipyards along the coast of Wales. Over the years, workers who had pilfered, that word, all kinds of things, everything from wheelbarrows to hammers, which had been stolen. However, as people sought to be right with God, they started to, re- to return what they had taken. And with the result, that soon the shipyards of, Z- of Wales, excuse me, were overwhelmed with returned property. There, was such huge, um, there were such huge amounts of tools and machinery being returned that several of the yards actually put up signs and asked the men to stop. One sign said this, If you've been led by God to return what you have stolen, please know that the management forgives you and wishes you to keep what you took. It reminds me of that song Johnny Cash wrote about one, one piece at a time where the guy stole the car. Yeah, one piece at a time. How many of us need to return those red cups to Village Inn Pizza? Oh, just me. Never mind. We'll go back to this. Okay. See, the Bible says that the king put Daniel over all the political leaders so that this is, this, listen to this, the most powerful man in the world, in the world says, I'm going to put Daniel over this because I know I won't suffer loss if Daniel's here. Why don't you be that person? WWJD. What would Jesus do? He wouldn't steal from his employer, would he? He wouldn't. He would not steal from his employer. What Paul is telling Titus is this. If you want to impact the island of Crete, start by having all the employees who have stolen things that don't belong to them return them and steal no more. And all of God's people said, amen. Stop being a thief, people. Just don't do it. And then he says this. If you do all these things, look, he said, you'll show all good fidelity that you may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things at work. Isn't it amazing? You, you know, when, when the Lord saved me, my mission field was where I worked. It was where I worked. I was around lost people. I was around truck drivers. Loved those guys. I had the opportunity to lead several to the Lord. Sure did. Still friends with them today. And I thought about how I came to know the Lord. Listen, court-appointed counseling, right? Court-appointed counseling. You got to go to Foothills Mental Health, Health Talk and your counselor is going to be John Ospaw. Now, isn't that something, how that just happened? A guy is going to East Hillsville Baptist Church. He's your counselor, right? He's, he's going to be your guy. You got, you got 10 weeks with him. And guess what we talked about in those 10 weeks? A lot of stuff. But ultimately, he'd always come back to the gospel. Oh, as, a, as an employee, that was his job, right, to counsel. And he would meet me after work hours to talk to me about Jesus. And on a Tuesday night... Because this guy adorned the doctrine of God, I surrendered my life to Jesus one, exactly one mile from where I'm standing. Now, friends, let me tell you something. Be a good, godly, honest worker, and who knows who you may lead to the Lord and what God may do with their life. Number three, and we'll hurry. Notice what he says. Suffering for this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief and suffering wrong. Peter says, some of you are going to suffer. I'm sorry. He says, you just are. You're living among pagans. You're going to suffer. It reminded me of uh, Branch Rickey. I think he owned the Brooklyn Dodgers. I can't remember exactly. I know he owned the Dodgers. I think they were Brooklyn at the time. And he done something unthinkable. He said, I'm going to draft this guy named Jackie Robinson. He's a minor league player of the year, first, first African-American to play baseball. And whenever he signed Jackie, he, he got Jackie in his office, and this is what he said. He said, Jackie, he said, sit here. And he had every racial slur he could think of, and he, he told him and put Jackie's name with it. You this, Jackie. You that, Jackie. And he said, listen, Jackie, that's what you're going to hear from fans. You're going to hear from players. You may even hear it from your own teammates. This is what he told him. He said, for two years, you can't do nothing. You can't say a word. If you've got to cry, you cry. If you, if you do an interview, you don't say nothing. You say, yes, sir, no, ma'am. He said, because there's something bigger than baseball going on here today. You not only represent your race, but you're fighting racism. Now, can you handle that, Jackie? And I'll sign you. And Jackie Robinson said, I can handle it. He said, after two years, you punch him in the face. <laughs> you do what you want to. And listen, let me tell you something. When you, when you handle suffering, when you handle suffering like Christ wants you to, I don't know what it is. The world watches you. The world watches you. And you're preaching a far better sermon than I could ever preach. And there's some good preachers in this church who will never stand behind this pulpit, but they've been in hospitals, hospices, nursing homes. They've been through all that, and they still love Jesus. That's what Peter's saying. And then the final thing, notice, and we'll talk about this next week, Jesus is our example. He says, for 
to this you were called. Notice he said, this is your lot in life. That called means it's the sovereign plan of God. We can't change it. It just is what it is. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his footsteps. He said, Jesus committed no sin. He was innocent. And I would ask you, are you innocent in your suffering? You're just like, this is happening. I, I didn't cause it. Okay. Then number two, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Jesus was in control. When threatened, he didn't threaten back. Aren't you glad? When people, when people spat on him, Jesus didn't spit back. When they put the crown of thorns on his head and they beat him with the staff, Jesus didn't fight back. He just didn't. Okay, he was in control. And then the final thing is this. It says, who when reviled, he did not revile and return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Now notice, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. And you know what that means? It means this, that Jesus trusted the Lord through it all. And what he was saying is this, this is God's plan, and I submit to it. See, when Jesus was in the garden, he said, Lord, if it's possible, will you let this cup pass? And basically what God said was, no. See, some of you are going to pray for yourself, and you're going to pray for others for God to change that situation. And for a lot of us, me included, the answer is going to be no. Nope. Lord, will you heal me of this? Look, no not you gotta understand you've been called for this and I want you to trust me that's tough but that's real Christianity in the United States of America as it is today right do you trust the Lord do you trust the Lord I want you to stand with me with every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment And they come, if you'll just pray with me, I want to ask you just a couple questions and then we'll, we'll, we'll close. Would you be willing to submit to the leadership in your life? I'm talking about leadership that you can't change. Would you pray, God, help me to be a better employee? God, help me to be a better boss. God, use my life in this time for your honor and for your glory. And then the hardest one of all is sometimes this. God, help me to handle this suffering that I'm going through. And it's okay to say, God, will you please change this, that, or the other? But ultimately say this, God, I trust you if this is what I'm called to. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your plan. Lord, I don't understand why things happen at times, but Lord, you do. But Lord, I pray that I would be like Jesus and commit myself to you and trust myself to you. Father, I pray for those who have had incredibly difficult times this year. And Lord, I've, I've, I've prayed over and over again that you would change those situations. But Lord, part of your plan is not doing that. But Lord, I want to thank you for those who have entrusted themselves to you and have continued to love you, worship you, and praise you. And Lord, I pray for the hurts that only you can heal. And Lord, your plan moving forward for their life is, is even better, I believe. You seek to work good in all things for those who have been called by your glory. And Father, I pray that you bless and help them in ways that only you can. Father, if there's anyone here today who's never placed their faith and trust in you, I pray that today would be their day of salvation, whether it, this invitation or not. Lord, you saved most people outside the church. And Lord, I pray that you'd save them. And Lord, we want to thank you and praise you for what you do for us, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Sharon leads us in this song, you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. dismiss, I would just like to say, I say this uh, after every service, if you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, 
and you'd like to talk to me or one of the staff, we're available for that. Okay, talk to us anytime. We're pretty easy to get a hold of. Also want to thank everyone who served during VBS. Let's give them a hand. Thank you so much. What a great week. So proud of our church. Thank you for serving. Uh, thank you for giving. Part of our budget is VBS, and we put a lot of money into that. And uh, I just want to thank you for your faithfulness to give. Um, uh, just want to mention also that um, there are budgets are out there. Please pick those up and look at those. If you have any questions about those, please contact myself, Kevin, or Chris Russell. And also, we're going to play the video. It's a recap of Vacation Bible School. If you'd like to stay and watch that, you can. If not, you're dismissed. God bless you, and hope you have a great week.